chapter thirty of beyond these voices this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org beyond these voices by mary elizabeth braddon chapter thirty after susan amphlett's disappearance the house in portland place was given over to silence and solitude lady oakhampton was at disbrow where she was on duty as a model grandmother her daughters liking their children to spend the early winter in the ancestral home where there were exmoor ponies in abundance and plenty of clever grooms to teach the dear kiddies to ride and a superannuated governess of the good old soul or dear old thing order to keep their young minds from rusting and coach them for their next exam whether in music or science lady oakhampton was established in her country house till christmas and claude had turf engagements and shooting engagements enough to occupy him nearly as long he had been reluctant to leave his wife but once away from the silent house he had all manner of distractions to prolong his absence and while newmarket was full of life and anticipations for next year the house in which he had left vera was a place of gloom that had haunted him in troubled dreams and made the thought of return horrible he wrote to her more than once entreating her to let him take her to cannes or nice she could have nurses and invalid carriages to make the journey possible and her health would be renewed in the sunshine but his wife's answer was always to the same effect i am at peace let me be and then he fell back upon his stables and his racing friends or his shooting in suffolk or on cards anything to stop that horror of retrospective thought which had been like a disease with him of late years vera was at peace she had no trivial visitors was not obliged to listen to futile chatter about other people's affairs dr tower came three or four times a week unwilling to confide so precious a life to his watch-dog the general practitioner and was cheerful and sympathetic she had two hospital nurses now one always on guard day and night she could no longer maintain her struggle for independence for she too often needed a helping arm to support her as she went up and down the long corridors or toiled slowly up the spacious staircase that had once been alive with the finest people in london but where now the slender figure in a soft silk gown and white fur boa with the nursing cap and uniform moved in a ghostly silence father cyprian hammond came to see her sometimes and sat long and talked delightfully but he who was past master in the art of making proselytes could get no nearer the mind of this woman than he had got a year before whatever her burden was she would not open her heart to him whatever her sense of sin she would not ask him for absolution it was in vain that he told her what his church could do for a penitent the ineffable power possessed by 
that one holy and ineffable church to heal the wounded heart and to bring the strayed lamb back to the shepherd's arms try to think of yourself in the wilderness and that divine shepherd seeking for you said the priest gently but father cyprian with all his gifts could not win her to confide in him it was only to francis simeon the spiritualist that she ever spoke of the thoughts that filled her mind as she sat alone in the room that had been her husband's dreaming over one of the books he had loved her intimacy with francis simeon had grown closer since the world outside that quiet room had closed upon her for ever since he knew and she knew that the transition from the known to the unknown life was very near he had told her the story of his own sorrows the tragedy of love and death that had made him a mystic and a dreamer whose hopes and convictions the world scoffed at life had given him all the things he desired and last best gift of all the love of a perfect woman who alone could make that life complete for himself and for others lifting him forever above the sphere of sensual joys and worthless ambitions it was she who had taught him to look beyond the present life and to consider the beauty of the world no more than a screen that concealed the glory of diviner worlds hidden from them only while they were moving along their earthly pilgrimage always looking beyond always dreaming of something better the day came without an hour's warning when he was to be told that her pilgrimage was nearly done the after-life was calling her the divine companions were beckoning all that there had been of high enthusiasm and scorn of life left him in that moment he was as weak and helpless as a mother with her only child her infant child threatened by death the dreamer was no more a dreamer and only the earthly lover remained he who was to have been her husband he hung upon moments he listened to every failing breath he counted time by her ebbing strength and the opinions of doctors he lived only to watch and to listen beside her sofa or in the curtained twilight of her sick-room when the pretty garden-parlour was no longer possible wherever she was carried in the vain pursuit of life he went with her the time of alternating hope and dread lasted nearly a year it was our union he told vera it was my only marriage as i sat day after day with her hand clasped in mine i knew that this was all i could ever know of marriage or of woman's love from the day of her death i had done with the world and all the rest of my days were given up to searching for those who had gone for those who were in her world not in mine i have waited at the door as your dog waits when he cannot see you and as he believes that you are there on the other side so i believe and know that she is near me and my days have known no other business or interest than my patient search into the books of all ages and nations that help the science of the future life and the society of those people whom you have met in my rooms and who think and feel as i do 
i am a rich man but i only use money for the relief of distress and i have allowed myself no luxury or indulgence beyond my books and the rooms that are large enough to hold them and me the hospital nurse sat in the adjoining room with the door ajar so far and so far only was the patient allowed the privilege of solitude someone must be always there within hearing when she had a visitor the door might be shut but not otherwise there must be something very dreadful the matter with me she said when dr tower insisted upon this point no my dear lady there is nothing dreadful in a tired heart but i don't want you to faint without anybody at hand to look after you vera assured him that she was not likely to faint and made mock of his care he had been very insistent upon certain points in his treatment which he arranged with the general practitioner who had attended her for minor ailments in earlier days when she was rarely in need of medical care he would not allow her to go up and down stairs any longer that ordeal must be at an end until she was stronger he had the dining-room made into a bedroom for her use all the gloomy old pictures and colossal furniture had been removed and the walls were hung with delicate chintz while the choicest things in her rooms upstairs had been brought down to make this ground-floor apartment pleasant for her a room that smiled as it had never smiled before even on those gala nights when a flood of light shone upon the splendour of georgian silver and venetian glass and diamonds and fashionable women you are taking far too much trouble about me vera said when first she saw this transformation we only want to save you trouble the ascent to the second floor of this lofty house is almost alpine i wonder you never established an electric lift i never minded running up and down stairs she remembered the first years after her second marriage the years of trivial pleasures and hurry and excitement and with how light a step she had gone up and down that stately staircase to give herself over to her parisian maid and to have her smart toilet of the morning changed for the still smarter clothes of the afternoon while she had submitted impatiently with a mind full of worthless things the fashion of her gown the shape of her last new hat that rush from one amusement to another endless hours without pause had been like the morphia maniac's needle it had killed thought all that was left of life now was thought or rather memory for of late thought and memory were one her doctors might do what they liked with her so long as they let her stay in the silent house and did not take away her dog since his return from captivity the terrier had hung about her with a love more devoted even than before their separation he watched her as only a dog can watch the creature it loves he would not let her out of his sight he could not forget how he had been kept away from her and he lived in fear of another parting if he were not lying at her feet or nestling against the soft folds of her gown he was sitting at the door of her room the door that hid her from him the cruel door that kept him from her immediate presence he lay at her bedroom door all night and rushed in with the first entrance of nurse or maid in the morning to greet her with hairy paws upon her coverlet 
and irresistible canine kisses upon her cheek this was the best love that remained to her the love that had no afterthought and left no sting she had provided a friend for him in days when she would be no longer there francis simeon had promised to take him and love him and give him a happy old age and a gentle sleep when he was weary as the winter days shortened she grew perceptibly weaker and the tired heart felt as if its work in this world must be nearly done mr simeon came every day and stayed for a long time a quiet figure sitting in the low armchair by the wood fire sometimes in silence that was restful for the invalid though she loved to hear him talk for his thoughts were not of this narrow life and its trumpery pleasures and eating cares but of the land beyond the vale do you believe they think of us sometimes those who have gone beyond vera asked in her low sweet voice as they sat in the winter gloaming i believe they think of us often always if they have loved us much i had a friend whom i offended cruelly dreadfully she said slowly as if with an effort and he died before i had even begun to be sorry and when he was dead and i knew that his spirit was there among the shadows near me i was afraid horribly afraid i could only think of his anger never of the possibility of his forgiveness for a long long time i was afraid that i should see him i could imagine the dreadful anger in his face his face and form were always there in the background of my life and i was afraid of being alone afraid of silence and darkness and all lonely places so i gave myself up to society and the amusements and distractions of brainless people without ever really caring for them only to escape thought but i could not stop my brain from thinking thought went on like a relentless iron mill grinding 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 the same dead husks by day and night and the friend whose love i had wounded was always there and then there came a time when i sickened of everything upon earth society splendour music pictures even mountains and lakes and forests and all the beauty of the world all things had become loathsome and i wandered about with a restless spirit in my brain that would not leave me in peace then slowly slowly the faint sweet sense of peace came back the angry face was gone and the face that looked at me out of the shadows was only sad and then the time came when i felt that the dead had changed towards me in that dim world you have taught me to understand and that there was pardon and pity in the great heart i had wounded and one day the burden was lifted from my soul and i knew that i was forgiven now tell me my kind friend was this hallucination was it just the outcome of my brooding thoughts dwelling perpetually upon the same subject or was the spirit of my dead friend really in touch with mine was it by his strong will reaching across the barrier of death that the assurance of forgiveness had come to my soul or was i the dupe of my own imagination my own longing for pardon no you were not deceived it is for such as you that the veil is sometimes lifted the creatures in whom mind is more than flesh the elect of human clay 
i told you as much as that years ago when you first talked to me of the world we all believe in we who meet together and wait for the voices out of the shadows the wisdom and the faith that cannot die the voices of the influencing minds no my sweet friend have neither fear nor doubt the sense of pity and pardon that has come into your soul is a message from the friend you loved would the happy spirit descend from the realms of light or song should i fear to greet my friend or to say forgive the wrong believe that you are forgiven you can know no more than that until you have passed the river until the gate of a happier world has been opened and then i shall be with him again where they neither marry nor are given in marriage but where they are as the angels of god in heaven that is the reunion to which we all look forward that is the faith that looks through death there was a long interval of silence and then she said slowly if i could see him with these bodily eyes see him as i see you looking at me in the firelight i should be sure that the dream is not a dream you have been privileged to understand the mind of your dead friend to know that he is near you that should be enough only to the rarest natures is it given to see you questioned me about this possibility of vision once before and i told you that i had known of one instance when the eyes of the living beheld the dead in the last moments of earthly life i do not think those moments are far off for me my friend vera said softly francis simeon in whose philosophy death was emancipation did not say the kind of thing that susan amphlett would have said in the circumstances she no doubt would have told vera that she was talking nonsense and that she was going to get quite quite well and live for years and years and years and have a real good time mr simeon took her attenuated hand in his friendly grasp and sat by her for some time in silence before he bade her his calm adieu patted the dog nestling against her knees and went quietly out of the room and out of the house he did not think that he would ever again be sitting in the firelight in that room hearing the low sad voice he knew that he had shut the door upon a life that was measured by moments three days after that vera was unwontedly restless there had been a long telegram from her husband in the morning announcing his return for that night he had finished all his business with his trainer engaged the jockeys who were to ride for him next year and he was coming back to london he did not say coming home heartily sick of newmarket and his suffolk shooting and the friends who had been with him why do we do these things and call them pleasures he ended the message with that question as with a moral poor claude sighed his wife as she folded the thin slips of paper and laid them among her books and then she thought how much happier for him if he had stayed with the benedictines the days wore on such slow days the nurses were more and more attentive horribly attentive 
there were three of them now two were always about her while the third slept she had left off asking questions dr tower came every morning and sat with her quietly for a quarter of an hour and patted and praised her dog and told her scraps of the day's news and was kind but she heard him without interest as if without understanding she had what susy called her mermaid gaze as one who saw only things far away across a vast ocean she never questioned him now and made no allusion to the third young woman in uniform who had come upon the scene so quietly that she looked like a double of one of the others a trick of the optic nerves rather than another person she had the nurses almost always near her and that other sentinel the terrier was there always there was no almost where his affection was concerned as she grew weaker and moved with feebler steps he moved nearer her she talked to him sometimes to the nurses never though she was gracious to them in her mute fashion and understood that they liked her and were sorry for her one quiet great evening the closing in of a day that had been curiously mild for an english december a day that brought back the still sad atmosphere of midwinter at san marco she had an unusual respite from her watchers it was tea-time and they were sitting longer than usual over the low fire in the room beyond the library with the door ajar no light switched on no sound of laughter or loud voices just two well-behaved young women whispering together in the firelight she was alone moving slowly along the corridor she had been wandering about for some time with a restlessness that had increased in a painful degree of late the dog creeping close against her skirt until all in a moment when she bent down to speak to him he slunk away from her and crawled under the dark archway that opened into the deeper darkness of the hall as vera entered through the open door of the library at last it had come the thing she had been waiting for it was no surprise when the dream she had been dreaming night after night became a reality a shiver ran through her as if the warm blood in her veins had turned to ice-cold water but it was awe not horror that thrilled her night after night she had awakened from a vision of mario provana from the sound of his voice the touch of his hand the glad vivid sense that all that was past was a dream that he was alive and that she belonged to him and him only as before the coming of trouble she had awakened night after night in the faint flicker of the shrouded lamp when the room was full of shadows she had awakened to disappointment and desolation that had been the surprise not this there was neither doubt nor wonder now as she stood on the threshold of the dim room and saw provana sitting by the hearth in the chair where he used to sit calm motionless like a statue of domestic peace the creator and defender of the home the master sitting silent by the hearth-fire that wedded love had made sacred the dull red of that fading fire and the pale grey of evening outside the uncurtained windows made the only light in the room but there was light enough for her to see every line in the face the face of power where every line told a force unalterable purpose indomitable courage 
the grey eyes looked at her still bright under the projecting brow kind eyes that told her of his love a love that fate could not change nor diminish not death nor sin for these first moments she believed he had come back to her that he had escaped the bonds of death she did not ask what miracle had brought him there but she believed in his miraculous return the blood ran swift and warm in her veins again her heart beat with a passionate joy she stretched out her arms to him trying to speak fond words of welcome but her tremulous lips could give no sound the muscles of her throat seemed paralyzed she was yearning to tell him of her love that she had sinned and repented that he was the first must always be the first in her affection her limbs failed her with a sudden collapse and she sank on her knees by a large high-backed armchair that stood near the door and clung to the arm of it with both her hands struggling against the numbness that was creeping over her senses she kept her eyes upon the face the face of all her dreams of all her sorrow the face she had loved and regretted for moments her widely opened eyes gazed steadily then cold drops broke out upon her forehead her limbs shook and her eyelids drooped only for an instant she lifted them and he was gone there was nothing but the empty chair his chair in the quiet domestic evenings before mario provana's house became the fashion before the disbrows gave the law to his wife's existence that was the last she saw before the lifting of the veil end of chapter thirty